Welcome back to the Vine Church podcast. Today, we're continuing our devotional study series in the book of Psalms. If you haven't already, you can find us on YouTube at the Vine Church Odium and Church Crookham. And we'd love for you to join us over there. Good morning, folks. Hi there. Good to see you. Um, Welcome. So I'm going to read to you Psalm 19. Okay, so let's begin. Psalm 19 says this for the director of music, a Psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at the end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. There are more, they are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. But by them is your servant warned, in keeping them is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. As C.S. Lewis actually said of this psalm that uh, he uh, take, he says, he said this, I take it, I take this to be the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. That's an incredibly big thing for the professor of English literature at Oxford University to say, isn't it? That's pretty heavy duty. So this is uh, a remarkable and wonderful and beautifully composed psalm. And we can really divide it into two sections or cutting it a different way into three sections. If we cut it into two, we want to say that, first of all, there is revelation In verses 1 to 11, there is revelation of who God is, God revealing himself. And then in uh, verses 12 to 14, there is response, our response to the revelation of who God is. And we can often miss out those last verses, but there is a key bit there where we respond to the truth that is revealed to us. And just note that as a result of God revealing himself to us and us, us responding to his revelation, relationship is possible because it's a two-way conversation where he speaks to us and then we speak back to him therefore there is relationship that flows from that revelation and that response 
And that's the pattern through the Psalms, isn't it? That we get to talk to God as well as him talking to us. We listen as well as him listening to us. But uh, it's worth just noting that this word revelation, the fact that God reveals himself to us in these first 11 verses. You see, the Psalms are not just people pouring out their hearts to God, although that is true. The Psalms are also prophecy. They are God revealing, declaring who he is to us. They are a declaration of truth about God as well. And it's worth just noting, by the way, a little hobby horse of mine, that the Psalms are, in fact, um, the hymns that were sung by Israel, and they contain a lot of truth. And it's just worth noting that are our songs as full of content as these Psalms were? I would suggest that we should choose good songs that have good content, because often we teach people as much as Charles Wesley did through our psalm, through our singing, as we do as John Wesley did through his preaching. And so we have this wonderful psalm that is full of revelation about God, and then our response. But I said that we could divide it into three because actually verses 1 to 11 can really be split into two halves. The first half, verses 1 to 6, are speaking, if you like, about general revelation, which is, that's the technical word for kind of uh, revelation about God that we can learn through our senses, through what we see in the world, through our conscience, through our experiences, through the world around us. General revelation is available to all people and it is revelation about God through his world. And then in verses 7 to 11, there is special revelation, what the theologians called special revelation. This is revelation about God, not through his world, but through his word, that he speaks about who he is. And it's really those who have ears to hear his word, his people, who get special revelation from him as declared through his word. And then in verses 12 to 14, you could say that there is a further revealing of God, and that is through his witnesses, through us, in fact, because as we respond and as we are changed by his word, we too will declare forth as witnesses through our words and our works who he is. So let's just spend a little bit of time in this first section, verses one to six. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. I love the way it says here in verse two that they pour forth speech. The heavens, the firmament pours forth speech. It's like it bubbles over with constant a constant message of who God is. Every day the sky is different. Every night the sky is 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 wonderful. And all the time God is declaring who he is to those who are watching. And all of us get to see this glory daytime. And then, of course, we see a different thing at night. We see that we're not alone in the universe, that there is a whole uh, there's a whole uh, a universe out there as well. Notice that it says here that uh, the uh, there is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. 
And so God speaks to everyone all over the world. The sun goes across the entire world and, and nature is everywhere for people to see. Although the footnote of the NIV says they have no speech, there are no words. And I actually prefer the footnote and and commentators tend to go for this one but but saying that although the sun doesn't speak although the trees don't speak actually they are speaking volumes about who god is they're shouting forth all the time the greatness and the glory and the majesty of god and of course it's shocking and surprising that people don't see who this god is even though it's obvious and plain for all to see and of course Paul picks this up in Romans chapter 1 and verse 18, where really you've got to say that he's thinking of Psalm 19 when he says actually in verse 20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. People are without excuse. There is a dramatic, beautiful thing that we can see all of the time, even just looking at human beings and our complexity that declare who he is. But in verse six, it focuses in particular on the sun and how the sun travels its course each day like a bridegroom, like resplendent coming out of his home, being led forth to his bride, uh, on his path to his bride. So the sun is on this journey each day, resplendent and beautiful, or like a, a runner, it says, who, who relentlessly, a champion runner who uh, triumphantly and joyfully completes his track his path and and the sun is like that and notice how it says about this sun that nothing is hidden from its heat this sun is a searching sun that shines everywhere wherever in the world you are it's a searching sun that nothing is hidden from and that links us nicely into verses 7 to 11, where we read about the special revelation of God through his word. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Notice the nouns in this passage describing God's law. It says the law, which describes, by the way, not just the Ten Commandments or the associated commandments, but the whole Torah, the whole revelation of God, um, the law of God, the statutes, precepts, they're called. They're called commands. They're called the fear of the Lord. They're called the ordinances of the Lord. They are specific. They are things that we can specifically obey and do and respond to. Notice the adjectives in this section as well. These statutes, these laws are perfect. They are trustworthy. They are right. They are radiant. They are pure. They are sure. They are righteous. They are precious. They are sweeter than honey. This is a wonderful word that we can delight in and enjoy. And notice the verbs in this section that describe the results of these words are of God's word and these verbs here we see that they revive the soul that they make wise the simple that they give joy to the heart that they light up the eyes they give light to the eyes they endure for ever that they 
by them the servant is warned and through them there is great rewards. And so notice then that this son, just as the son searches all over the world, so God's word is a searching word as well that reveals everything. It's a double-edged sword that sees everything. And so we come finally to our response And we see in verses 12 to 14, actually a very profound insight, I believe, into human nature, because we see how we're to respond to this revelation of God through through the world and through his words. And he says, who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. There's a kind of gradation of sins here as we go through this. It goes from hidden faults. I call these character traits, if you like, uh, things that we can't even see. They're so close up and so part of us that we're not aware of them. Then he moves on in verse 13 to what I'm calling controlling sins. So there's character sins, there's controlling sins, that's willful sins that rule over us, he says. Uh, And then he talks about catastrophic sins uh, because he says then that I will be blameless of great transgression. And that word great transgression is used in Exodus several times to describe the golden calf incident. These are this is a catastrophic sin. This is kind of a, a moment of madness that can change a life and destroy a relationship or whatever. These catastrophic sins. And so there are these three types of sin, character sins, controlling sins and catastrophic sins. Character sins might be things like, for example, learnt behaviours. For example, that you don't realise that you're actually manipulative through moodiness or through different things. And actually your character is manipulative and you're not aware of it because it's just part of who you, it's a learnt behaviour that you have. It may be that you, you are proud and people can see that, but you can't see it or, or, or that you, you know, you, you drive recklessly. But again, it's part of just who you are and nobody, you can't see it, but others can. And the psalmist asks him to reveal his hidden errors so that he can change. Controlling sins, talking here about things that rule over us that are willfully done, that we're aware of. They may be things like gluttony, or they might be things like lust or drink, drinking too much, or they might be a bad temper. Controlling sins. And then there is great transgression, which we've already talked about. And just notice quickly that there's kind of one goes from to the next to the next. So in other words, you don't just commit a catastrophic sin out of the blue. It comes because you've allowed uh, character traits and controlling sins to be there and to grow over time. And then there's a catastrophic sin that comes to the surface. But actually, you've got to deal with the other things on a regular basis. And so the psalmist tells, finishes by saying, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Asking God to expose things, to reveal things, to, to remove things, to make him pure. But notice how he finishes beautifully. He says, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The psalmist finishes by saying, Lord, you are my refuge and you are my redeemer. This is not about salvation through our efforts. This is about knowing that he is our redeemer, our saviour, our refuge 
and in him we can find safety but in him also we can be changed through the revelation of who he is through his world but even more powerfully through his word and so let's ask God let's make this his our prayer today may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight O Lord my rock and my redeemer amen thank you guys feel free to feedback or comment but it's been great to see you this morning